You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church slash messages. Well, hello, church. Good to see everyone. Welcome. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them you look good. Can you do that? Tell them you look good. Uh, tell them you look so rested this morning. Uh, everybody sleep okay? Or was this a rough night? A uh, little bit of a rough night, you know, waking up and... Last night, my, my family loved me because I was like uh, telling everyone what the time was for like today. So I was like, it's already 11 o'clock. You got to go to bed. Everybody go to bed. And they're like, yeah, it's only 10. And when you get old, you do stuff like that. Um, but uh, hey, I'm excited about being here. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace and your love. You're so good. And Lord, uh, we just humble ourselves before you. And you know, Lord... Um, None of this matters unless your Holy Spirit just shows up. Mm. And Father, I, I thank you for this message that's already been preached twice, but Lord, I just want to leave it all out here on the court for you, Jesus, and I ask for your anointing. We need to hear a word from you, God. We need to hear a word from you, God, and, and nothing else will satisfy our soul. We, we need to hear from you. So, God, I pray that by your grace, you just speak here. There's some souls here, Lord, that just are in the valley, and and I pray that you speak there. Strengthen and heal and do a miracle today, God, that that maybe, maybe someone didn't expect. Would you work in that way, God? Give me strength, Lord. Direct my thoughts and words, Lord. And um, by your grace, use me. Lord, I just pray for our crazy world. Uh, I know there's a lot of fear around the coronavirus, and I'm so grateful, Jesus, you're the great physician, and you don't get startled about anything. Uh, I pray for our nation in the midst of TV commercials of politicians jostling and posturing, and I just thank you, God, that you are Lord and you are King, and our future is in your hands. Our hope is in you, God, not in any government or politician, and and I know you use those people, but God, our hope is in you. So Lord, I pray that you speak here. Would you give God permission to speak and just tell him, God, speak to me. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God is good. Well, you guys notice anything? Anything different? My shoes. I got these shoes. So... Um, I've been wanting a podium, a pulpit. Um, we, I had a pulpit, and then I lost a pulpit. Sounds like a riddle. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I had a pulpit, and then it, got, it broke. It broke. Like Early on in Thorn Creek, it was a wooden pulpit that actually Jeremy made for me. It was really, really nice. And as we were moving it around, it eventually cracked, and eventually it broke. And it was, So I was really excited. This one comes from Sydney, Australia. So it's a company that specializes just in pulpits. So this is the equivalent of you getting a new cell phone or a new car. I literally, on Friday night, Grace will tell you, I had a hard time sleeping because I was so excited about preaching to the the pulpit. And I got, it was Christmas, and, and if you, some of you know me pretty well, you get that. Um, but I was so excited about a new pulpit. So, um, so the thing was, this thing was supposed to, it came pretty quick, actually. And uh, I told my mother-in-law, who just speaks Spanish, I told her, Mama Sanchez, 
you know, a pulpit is coming, and she's a wonderful, godly woman, and I told her to keep an eye on it, because I'm really excited about this pulpit, so I went to go pick up my daughter from school, and I think we went to Starbucks or something to hang out, and then I came home, and I took my dog, Caddy, with me, who's our doorbell, basically, and so he wasn't there at the house, so when I show up, she shows me the little piece of paper from FedEx, you know, that says, sorry, we missed you. And I was like, Mama Sanchez, are you kidding me? It was like on Friday. So I was like, are you serious? You don't understand. And, and she said, ah, sorry, Ruben, sorry. And so she tells me. And I, uh, I took off and I drove around our neighborhood for like 20 minutes looking for a FedEx truck. Anybody ever do anything like that? You know, raise your hand if you just want to lie. Thank you. Thank you. You know what I'm talking about. So if you saw me driving around the neighborhood, that's what I was doing. So then eventually I, I, I called number and all this stuff, and I found out it was at the, the FedEx distribution center, which is in uh, Louisville. So I drove out to Louisville to, uh, to go pick it up. And, uh, and it's a big warehouse, and incidentally, they don't let you use public restrooms. But anyway, so when I, when I was on the way back, I got it, and I was on E470 coming back because I needed to get back quickly. Um, something dawned on me, and I thought, you know, I missed this, and my mother-in-law, God bless her, she missed it. And I thought, you know, I don't ever want to miss what God has for me. I don't want God to say, you know what, I showed up and I was there and I spoke, but you weren't listening or you weren't aware that I was there or, you know, I was doing something and I didn't realize, you know, he was doing something. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing in front of me. And I don't want to miss out on the presence of God. You know what I'm talking about? I just don't want to miss out because I wasn't right with God. I, I wasn't aware because I wasn't listening. I didn't hear because I wasn't watching. I didn't see because I, I wasn't crying out to him. I didn't know he was there. And, and I just missed it. Like he showed up and I wasn't there. And it was just like, oh my goodness, I missed. I missed hearing God. I don't want to live like that. And as I was driving an E-47, it's exactly what I thought of exactly what I thought of. And I was like, God, here I am driving, scrambling everywhere. And when you miss out on God, you scramble. You're chaotic and you spend a lot of wasted energy when you don't hear God. You spend a lot of wasted energy. This uh, series is called Jesus Who, and we're looking at a famous story involving a boat and involving Jesus sleeping on the boat, and the disciples come across a storm. It's a famous story. And, and they have Jesus in the boat, and they miss out. They don't realize who's in the boat. <clears throat> Mark chapter 4, verse 35, says this, That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. 
The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, what's your question, church? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In Matthew's account of this story, this verse says it like this, the men were amazed and said, what kind of a man is this? And then in Luke, the question is, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? I, I find it really interesting, this question, who is this, because it's a question all of humanity has to answer. If you haven't answered that question, you will be answering that question, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Who is this? You can't get around it. Eventually, you're going to be at a crossroad in your life where you have to grapple with this question, who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Um, I looked at this miracle a little bit, a little closely, and, and I, I found out that there were 12 miracles that happened before this miracle with the disciples. See, the disciples were aware of the Jesus who could change water to wine. The disciples were aware of the Jesus who can you know, take a fever away immediately. The disciples were aware of the Jesus who was like the ultimate fish finder that said, throw your net on that side. They were aware of that Jesus. They were aware of the Jesus who could heal a woman. They were aware of the Jesus that could cast out a demon. They were aware of the Jesus who, who, who can cleanse a leper. And they were aware of the Jesus who could heal a paralytic, but they were not aware of the Jesus who could calm the storm. That was new. That was new. Do you ever put God in a box? You put God in a box? Everyone has a box you came to church with. It's on your lap. And in your box, you have beliefs about God and who he is. You have beliefs about what he could do. The disciples had a box. And they said, Jesus could heal this and take away this, and Jesus could do this, and and he, he could do this, and he can do this. But in their box, they did not have Jesus has authority over all of creation, over all of nature, over every storm. They didn't have that box. I like the way Howard Hendricks said it. The size of your God determines the size of everything. The size of your God. How big is your God? How big is your God? Is there something? I mean, is your God big enough that he can do crazy things, miraculous things? I mean, I'm talking past the words of red, past time to go to church. I mean, do you believe your God is big enough to do the miraculous, the crazy thing? The thing that you think, there's no way God can do anything here. There's no way God can change my circumstance from one minute to another minute just that quickly. There's no way God can, nobody's going to come knocking on my door offering a job. That's just silly. 
There's no way I could be free from this situation. And there's no way, you know, I, 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 I you know, this is just no, is there, is there something that, like, there's just no way he can calm this storm. He's with me. He makes me feel all cozy and comfortable and safe, but there's no way he can do this. What is it? Take a look at this story. Starts with Mark chapter 4, verse 1. It says, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. So when you look at this story and you find it in Mark chapter 4, you read, he talks about the parable of the sower and it's a beautiful, beautiful story there. He explains it. Talks about the parable of the seed. The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And then he talks about the parable of the mustard seed. What shall we compare the kingdom of God with? And he talks about that. And so he's exhausted after a full day. He's on the boat outside, and the disciples are there, and he's teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching, and he's just tired. This passage right here shows the humanity of Jesus. He was fully God and fully human. He wasn't half God, half human. This is an important theological point. He was fully God and fully human, yet he never sinned. And he's tired. You know, when I preach three services on weekends, you know, by the time Sunday afternoon rolls around, there's this spiritual fatigue that's there. And it's just different from a 15-hour workday. They were like, I spiritually just throw myself out there because I know heaven and hell are at stake. And if you were to hang out with me, you would see it right around Three o'clock, if we were just hanging out at Chipotle or Chili's, wherever we were at, and right around three o'clock, I would get really quiet around the table. I'd get really quiet. And then right around 3.30 or something like that, when I go home, oh, that kitchen floor looks like the most comfortable place to lay down, that hard floor. Because I'm so tired. I tell Grace, I feel like I just got, like, ran over. I'm just flattened out spiritually. And I just want to go, I just, I'm ready to collapse right here. And, go to say, and, and it's normal for me, like during football season, I'll watch a football game and I'll turn it on on the couch. And the next thing I do, I, I fall asleep. And the next time I wake up is the next game's on. And I'm like, I have no idea what happened. So I'm like trying to check what happened in the first game. I don't know, but that's just normal. So when I look at Jesus right here and he's just tired, there's a reason why he's sleeping on the boat. The Sea of Galilee, incidentally, it was Jesus' idea to go there, wasn't it? The Sea of Galilee is really not a sea at all. It's a freshwater lake, no more than 160 feet deep at its deepest, but it can churn up storms at the blink of an eye. That's because it's located at the bottom of a bowl. It has hills around it and nearby ocean towering above it. The Sea of Galilee is 682 feet below the Mediterranean Sea, which is about 30 miles away. So because it's lower than everything else, when a burst of cool air crashes into the hot air into the Sea of Galilee, there's these crazy storms, squalls is what they're called, that happen, and it changes everything just that quick. Verse 35 says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Whose idea was it to go to the other side? It was Jesus. Do you think he knew there was a storm? Do you think Jesus knows what's going to happen to you today? Do you think he knows what's going to happen to you tomorrow? Do you think he knows the things that are going to happen during the week and this week in your life? Do you think he knows your heart? Does he know you that well? Absolutely. 
Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. This is one of the places in Scripture where, where you read this phrase, there were also other boats with him. And you look at that, and it seems like useless information. Because you never read about these other boats. You don't ever read about them. Oh, they also got caught up in the storm. And, you know, they don't, you don't, there were just other boats with them. And the reason why it's so significant is from an, from the, from an authenticity perspective, you have the, the, the author is sharing his memory about what happened. Like when you share a memory about what happened, some of your thoughts are kind of random. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, there was someone over here, and they were in a blue shirt or something like that. has nothing to do with the story, but they were there. And, and here, that's what you have the author doing. There were some other boats around. I'm, 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 anyway, but they were there also. And then it just keeps going on with the story. It, it just says how authentic this thing is. I want you to hear this. Not all storms come to disrupt your life. Some come to clear your path. Think Jesus knew there was a storm coming? Sometimes God uses them to clear your path. Mark chapter 4, verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waters broke over the boat. It was nearly swamped. That phrase, waters, wave, it literally means, or the waves broke over, literally means kept spilling over into. Kept spilling over into. You ever been in a storm like that? This is a scary storm kept spilling over into. You need to understand something as well. These guys were experienced fishermen. You know, I love fishing. I grew up fishing, saltwater fishing. I grew up going 100 miles outside of the coastline in South Texas and going after bluefish and, and amberjack and shark. and all, I love that. And I remember days... When we were on the boat and I was doing this the whole time, I remember that, where you're holding on and doing that kind of thing. These guys were experienced fishermen. I mean, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Can you tell what I do for a living? Do you think I, I, I work with wood all day? Do you think I work with rock all day? Do you think I'm outside working with fish all day? I've got typing hands. That's what I have. I write for a living. That's what I do. I meet with people, and I feel like a wuss when I work with like construction guys. Like Dan's hands are totally different from mine. Just with, with guys who just like their hands look like leather, you know, rancher hands or something. These guys were fishermen. They had calloused hands. They were aware of the waters. They were tough men, and they knew the Sea of Galilee. So when you see that they're afraid, they're afraid. Completely different. And this idea of the waves broke over or kept spilling over. You ever been in that situation where it's just like, oh, one bad news, another bad news, another bad news. When is this going to stop? I feel overwhelmed. This is too much for me. I can't handle this anymore. And they feel that. That's where they're going. I want you to hear this. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean God isn't with you. Just because you're in a storm doesn't mean God isn't with you. Sometimes we think a storm is an indication that God's not with you or you've messed up, and that may be the case. But sometimes you're in a storm and God is with you. Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. Now, there's different types of storms. There's this literal storm 
where, you know, we experience rain here in Colorado and we think we're going to melt. We'd rather have snow than rain or something. And, uh, but there, sometimes in a rainy storm kind of thing, all you have to do is give an umbrella. You know, unless you're in Seattle, you just walk around in it. It's no big deal. But you just, here's an umbrella and that takes care of you. But there's some storms that can't be resolved or can't be solved by an umbrella. There's, there's, there's different storms, like a financial storm. You're in this position where you're in over your head and you're like, how do I make this next payment and what am I going to do and I need another job or I, 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 need, I need to make more money and, and there's these financial storms that we might live with or emotional storms. You struggle with depression or you struggle with anxiety or you struggle with whatever it is and, and, and you just live with that emotional storm or, or, or maybe it's a secret storm. You know what secret storms look like? People envy the car you drive, but they don't know you're two payments behind, two months behind. That's a secret storm. People admire your job or that promotion, but they don't know you can't sleep at night because you're so worried about it. Or people admire the way you dress and the way you look and the makeup you put on, but they have no idea you have to put on a smile as well. Or people admire that vacation you take or the house that you live in, but they don't know you're using God's tithe to pay for all of it because you can't afford it. And you live with this reason with it. People admire your marriage, but they don't know who he is at home. They don't know who she is at home. Or people think you're a strong Christian, but they don't know what you're wrestling with when nobody's looking. Or people think you have strong faith, but they don't know how much you doubt. Private storms. Nobody sees them, and you live with them. <clears throat> they say this to Jesus. Jesus was in the stern. Let me, let me go back to this. This is important. Sometimes God will use the storm so that you can see what's inside of you. There's something about storms that disrupt everything. My son, as many of you know, he's in Nashville in college, and that tornado that happened, it, it literally hit 10 minutes away from his campus. His church the front of his church was ripped off, the front of his church where he goes to church. And he told me that the night that it happened, it was right around, he said, about 1130 or midnight, they got all the students and put them in a shelter. And he's never really been part of that. You know, here in Colorado, it's not something we do, you know, very often, but he was put in a shelter. And he said, Dad, it just felt like a drill. He said, we were in there for like 15, 20 minutes. And then he said, everyone can go back to their dorms and, and go to bed. And, and that's what he did. And, of course, the next day, all the students, all their phones were blowing up because, you know, parents and, you know, families calling their kid to make sure they're okay. And then they realized it just happened 10 minutes, you know, 10 miles away, and they saw the devastation. Have you ever seen the devastation of a tornado? So a lot of us, we've gone on, on trips to go, and, and, and we love on people in different areas of the country. But um, one of the things about tornadoes, like if there's trees, all the trees are the same height, it knocks, and then all the, every leaf is pulled off. It is a bare tree, and they're all, you know, 20 feet tall or whatever it is, or 15 feet, whatever it is. They're just all the same. It's very odd. 
and everything looks like a bomb just exploded, and, and your belongings in your, in your house literally are scattered miles, miles. There's no order. There's no chaos, but everything is exposed. And sometimes God will use a storm to expose you so that you can see who you are. And maybe it's you've drifted away from God, and God needs to use a storm so that you could humble yourself and turn to God. Maybe, that, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe you're full of pride, and you're arrogant, and, and, and you just are a stubborn person. And God will use a storm to, to rattle you a little bit, to show you who you are. It's a beautiful thing when you discover who you are, because it's at that point where you can cry out to God and say, God, I need you. I don't like who I see in the mirror. I ask you to change me, God. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, what do they call him, church? Teacher. Teacher. <clears throat> really fascinating, they call him teacher. They didn't say, hey, son of God, the great I am the Alpha and Omega, the bright and morning star, the one who is and was and is to come, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the word of God, the one through whom all creation was made and everything exists in him and through him and he holds everything together. They didn't call him that. They called him teacher. That's how they knew him. Teacher. He was nothing more than teacher. And even their question to him, don't you care if we drown? This is not like a respectful thing going on. This is teacher. We know you teach. You do church really well. It's so good. We do church. But this is real life. Wake up. Help out. We're drowning here. It's like, dude, pull your weight. Don't you see us working? Come on. That's, that's the attitude behind this. Do you know the Jesus that contained the tempest? Do you know that Jesus? Have you ever met him? that can tame that situation. And you can be in one situation, you can be in a, in a desert in one moment and just, 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 you know, just that quick, just changes everything. Do you know that Jesus who is over everything, who can cast that demon and change that situation and change that heart and just change everything because that's who he is? They don't know him. They call him teacher. Verse 39 says, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The word rebuke there literally means ordered. And the force of the Greek word here means to muzzle, like you do to, to a dog that has a problem with biting or something. It's to shut it up. It's to muzzle it. I'm, I'm, I'm telling, he's telling the storm to be muzzled. It's the same word, incidentally, in Mark chapter 1, 
when you see Jesus comes across a man who's demon-possessed. It says this, Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Here's what the demon says. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. And look, what does he tell him? Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. That same word, be quiet, is the same word that you read when Jesus quiets the storm. It's to be muzzled. He literally tells the storm, shut up. It's in the Bible, so you can say it now. He tells the, he tells the demon, shut up. And just like that, he shuts up. Just like that. He muzzles the storm. He muzzles the demon. And verse 40 says this, He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Wow. You know, when I see this, when I first thought, I thought, well, good night. What does Jesus call an emergency? I mean, water's coming over the boat. What, I mean, what does Jesus, is there anything that Jesus would warrant or give license to or permission to to worry about to be anxious about is there anything that would you know in the eyes of Jesus Jesus gets up they wake him up and he says shut up and then he rebukes the he rebukes the wind and then he turns to his disciples and says why are you so afraid which literally is this cowardly fear coward That's like one man calling out another man, coward. He says, you you have this coward-like fear. You have no faith. Here's what's happened. Before Jesus comes to the storm, they're afraid, right? They're afraid of the storm. But after Jesus calms the storm, they're terrified. Wake him up. He needs to help. Wake up the teacher. Jesus gets up and he helps. He tells the wind and the waves to shut up and be calm. And it was like this. And all of a sudden, it was this glass ocean. And all of a sudden, the sea, there was not a ripple. And all of a sudden, it wasn't a gradual thing. It was like, and when that happened, the disciples were there, and their, their adrenaline was up here, their energy was up here, their senses were up here, their fear was up here, and Jesus is just like, and then all of a sudden, they're like, who's this guy in the boat? See, they gained a new perspective at that moment. And their perspective was, we don't know who he is. He did something that nobody expected. And now the thought is, oh my goodness, I want to get out of the boat. (laughs) I don't want to stay in the boat with this guy. Who is he? Who is he? And they're freaking out. They're terrified. They're terrified now. They're they're more afraid of him than they were of the storm. And they say, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? They have a new perspective. Sheila Walsh, I like what she says. Whether Jesus calms the storm or calms us in the storm, his love is the same and his grace is enough. Isn't that a good word? Whatever it is. There is a fisherman's story. When you look at this story, you see this uh, 
you see it's happened again in the Old Testament. And in Psalm um, chapter 107, it says this, Some went out on the sea in ships, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and uh, they mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths and in their peril their courage melted away they reeled and staggered like drunkards they were at their wits end which literally means all their wisdom was swallowed So you have this situation in the Old Testament describing these brave fishermen, these merchants who do business by boat, and, and the waves were so bad, eventually all their wisdom was swallowed up. Here's what we do when we face problems and storms in life, and maybe you could identify. We do a little math equation. If you're a logical person, you'll appreciate this. First thing we do is we assess the storm, right? We look at the problem. We kind of look at it and say, okay, what's the problem? And the next thing we do typically is we take the storm and we say, plus me. So we say, okay, what can I do to fix this storm? What are my resources? How can I be creative? What can I do to fix this storm? And then you might say, oh, I probably should pray too. And you might do plus God. And you say, okay, God, I'm going to go ahead and I should, I should do this kind of thing, God. And, and hopefully the result is good. But, but if you're resourceful and you're creative, you have strong relational skills, you pride in yourself, you have a lot of pride in that, you assess the storm and you assess yourself, and you say, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to make this call, I'm going to do this, I can do it all by myself, I'm going to burn the candle on both ends, we can do it kind of thing. And then you say, and then you say plus God. Uh, but what happens when you exert all of your creative juices and your resources and your intellect, and you find out it's not enough? All your wisdom is swallowed up. It's like those who were on the boat that said, turn the sails, pull the ropes, get over here, get on the other side, and nothing is working, and the waves are coming over the boat. They're at their wits, and all their wisdom is swallowed up. In other words, you don't know what else to do. Have you been there before? I don't know what else to do. I don't know what other calls to make. I don't know what I can do. This storm is bigger than me. Who are you when all your wisdom is swallowed up? Sometimes you might rely on someone else's wisdom to help you. Maybe you're going to rely on your husband or you're going to rely on your wife or you're going to rely on a friend and you're going to say, oh, don't worry, he can figure it out. He's always figured it out in the past. But what happened? You might rely more on a person than you do on God. But when all your wisdom is swallowed up, there's something that happens when the waves are still coming in and you've pulled all the ropes and you've turned all the sails and everybody's working and the boat is about to go down. When all your wisdom is swallowed up, you know what you do? You get to this point where you say, oh, God, I don't know what to do. And this position right here, this brokenness is real. When you realize you are not enough, 
You don't know what to do. The storm is too big. And you say, God, this is a moment right here where God hears your prayer and he says, okay, now I got you. Now you're crying out to me. You haven't cried out to me until you've gotten to this point. And that's how God uses storms. The small problems, we could assess the problem and we can identify our resources and fix it. No, the small problems, we do that quite a bit. But the big ones, we say, oh, well, I'll just go ahead. And, but God wants you to turn to him with all of your heart. God wants all of you. God wants you to trust him more than you, than, than you trust anyone else. God wants you to trust him more than the man or the woman that you're sitting by. God wants all of you. And when you read this story here, it says this, verse 28, verse 28. Can you just say that first word with me out loud? Then. All their wisdom was swallowed up. There it is. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of elders. Here's what the Lord revealed to me. If there's a word that the Lord gave me for this message, the whole message, the Lord just I was praying this week saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to share with the church this weekend? What is the word? And here's what the word the Lord gave me. And here it is. <clears throat> Let's put it up on the screen. Here it is. You can know Jesus and not know Jesus. Some of you, how many of you grew up in church? Raise your hand if you grew in church. Do you know Jesus? No, do you know Jesus? Do you really, really, really know Jesus? Because Jesus was in the boat. He was right there. They saw all these miracles, but they didn't know Jesus. You can know Jesus. You can go through the motions of church. You can go through, the, you can act like a Christian. You can do all this stuff. Or you can assess, I don't need church. I don't need God. I don't need, I, I can do it all on my own. You could know Jesus and not know Jesus. You could know Jesus. At our men's retreat, we, uh, our, our, our speaker shared a video. I want to share the same video with you. Um, it's, a, it's a guy named Michael Jr. He's a comedian. And he, uh, um, he was doing a, you know, his comedian you know, show, comic show. And uh, he picked a, a guy randomly in the audience and found out the guy was a music director, and the guy can, I mean, he's got pipes, he can sing. Um, but uh, I wanted to show this video to you. So you're a musical director? Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail 
you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you, you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Did you hear the difference? One person hit, he hit every note. And if that happened here in church, was, you know, people would be like, wow, that was really good. But the other song, it was his story. It was his life. See, you could know Jesus or you could know Jesus. There's a difference. There's a difference. Jesus wants you to know him as Lord. Jesus wants you to know him as King. Jesus wants you to know him as healer. Jesus wants you to know him as God, Son of God, God in the flesh. Jesus wants you to know him as King. Jesus wants you to know him as the one that we cry out, holy, holy, holy are you, almighty God. Jesus wants you to know him as the one when we come to church, we worship him and we praise him because he's so good and he's king and he lives forever. He's God and there's nobody else like him. And he's the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's the word of God. He's everything. Jesus wants you to know him and worship him and praise him and say, God, we worship you, Jesus. There's nobody else like you. There's nobody else like you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. You're so good. Anybody with me on this? Anybody with me? Hasn't God been good in your life? Hasn't Jesus been good? He's better than anything else. He's faithful. He will never let you down. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's good on his word. And he'll be with you till the end. That's your Jesus. Do you know Jesus? I want to just rip up that box that you brought to church with you today. You came with this box on your lap that said, God can do this. And here's what I want to do, just, just rip it up. And I want to introduce you to the Jesus who can calm the storm. Just like that can calm the storm. Jesus is way bigger than you. He's bigger than your calculator. He's bigger than your retirement plans. He's bigger than anything you can devise. He's everything. He wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. He wants all of your worship. He wants your worship more than anything else. And he wants you to give it to him. Don't give it to a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or sex or any pleasure. Give all of yourself to God and he will not let you down.
Here's what I want to do, guys. Uh, let's pray. Jesus, we humble ourselves before you. Oh, Lord in heaven, I've done my best. As weak it as it's been, I've just done my best to preach your word. I can't help but to thank you. People are facing some storms here. If you want to know Jesus as Lord, the first thing you need to do is ask Jesus into your heart. Maybe you need to turn back to him. Maybe you've sinned. And today, this morning, you're going to turn back. Would you just say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for compromising. Forgive me for reasoning. Forgive me for justifying. I turn to you now. I want you to be my Lord, and I give you all of myself. I want to be obedient to you. I want to serve you. I want to live for you. So be my Lord and Savior. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me. If that's your prayer, would you just stand up right now really quickly? Stand up really quickly. Or maybe you need to say this. Jesus, I'm facing a storm. Or I've been through a storm. (laughs) And I just want to say, have all of me. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on who's in the boat. Lord, some people are going through a storm and it's a big one and they haven't turned to you with all of their hearts. They haven't asked you to wake up. So now, Lord, I pray that you just do a miracle here. By your grace, God, would you show these people how big you are? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.